Hello and welcome to episode number 237 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books. With me today is Beverly Jenkins. Pretty much everything I say between now and the part where Beverly starts talking should be as short as possible because there should be as little obstacle between you and me and listening to Bev Jenkins because she's brilliant. We're going to talk about her latest book, Breathless, which I love and you should read. We talk about her series in progress. And of course, we talk about history, the stories that inspire her, especially the unsung, undiscovered and forgotten women often behind major figures in history. We talk about the communities of women throughout history that worked to help each other and about her next book, next book, which I really want to read. Now, important information for you. We discuss some violent images from a recently released photography collection at Cornell. And I will warn you, if you are worried about descriptions of violent imagery, especially images affecting children, I will interrupt our conversation to warn you that if that is going to be something that is triggering or upsetting, you can skip ahead 30 seconds. I want you to feel safe, especially when you're listening to this podcast. The music you are listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater, and I will have information at the end of the show, and I will have links to all of the books that we discuss and all of the music and the different things that she mentions all over the internet in the podcast entry at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast. And now without any further delay, on with the podcast with Beverly Jenkins. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You are very welcome. You know, I love speaking with you. So, and smart bitches. So thank you. We're all big fans of yours too. So you have been traveling all over for the release of this book. Where have you, where have you been? I haven't been a lot of places. I've been to, um, LA Mm -hmm. and I'm on my way to, I got a local signing this week. I'm on my way to South Carolina, University of South Carolina at the end of the month. Oh, when are you going to be there? In in March? Nope. 26th. I fly in on Sunday. The event is Monday. I fly home on Tuesday. Well, I'll be in Chicago in March. And then the next weekend, I'll be in Chicago the 18th of March. Then the 25th of March, I'll be in Dallas. Wow. I am not going there. Are you going to RT this year? No, not going. To, yeah, going to RT, not going to RWA, but going to RT. So how was your event at the Ripped Bodice? Did you have a good time? I love that place. Oh, my God. Have you been out there yet? I have not. And I just ask everybody about it because I haven't been yet. Oh, God. The store is gorgeous. Leah and Bia are just lovely. The dog is cool. <laughs> um, Fritz. Fitz. Fitz. Fitzwilliam. Fitz, yeah, Fitzwilliams. Fit, fit, Fitz. Um, had a great, 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 great time. It was really awesome. We had a packed house both nights, hopefully sold a lot of books. I had a fabulous time. I saw some pictures and there were a lot of people at that signing. That must be so lovely to see so many people in the room. Well, you know, sometimes it's it's, it's like um, the Chardet's lyrics, uh, someday chicken, next day feathers. Yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you go to a signing and... You know, you got like three people in the room and, but you know, you you can never tell, but it's always wonderful when you get a full house. So I did a signing once for my first book and there was torrential rain and people were saying, you know, stay off the roads. It's so dangerous. Um, One person came, but she had come early because of the rain. She was moving away. She wanted to meet me. And I was like, that's fine. I'll talk to one person. And then the librarians felt so bad that they kept taking their breaks and coming in and out. So I had like six in and out librarians and one reader. And it was a really memorable, good event because I felt like I had really, you know, talked to a lot of people. Yeah. See, it's, you know, and and no matter how many people show up, you always have a good time. Absolutely. Even with that one or three or five, but. You know, it's always wonderful to have standing room only, too. So. Oh, that's always feels good. When you have a line at a signing, like, woo, I have a yeah. line. Yeah, yeah, it's good. So your latest book gave me all the warm feels. Thank you. You're very welcome. I saw the bee, and I saw the, the little, bit of, little bit of stuff that you were like, hmm, and that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I, you know, I'm always always looking for constructive criticism and constructive issues and um i enjoyed the book i'm getting ready to do uh her sister 
was going to have an interesting interesting encounter with this man that she thinks she's going to fall madly in love with and he's going to fall madly in love with her so you quickly and she's going to be a mail order bride so she's moving all the way north all the way north to wyoming and uh on a wish and a prayer so uh was that very common well you know mail order brides were common they came in from england they came in from all over the country um I had the, when I did Topaz, we moved women from Chicago to um, the plains of Kansas. So uh, And Destiny's Embrace, she went from Philadelphia to, mm-hmm, to California. California. Yeah, yeah. People don't think that there were African-American male brides, but there were. Um, in fact, I was at a signing for, it must have been Topaz, was, you know, a thousand years ago. And an older... Um, African-American woman came up to me and she said, my grandmother was a male order bride. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's people don't think that, you know, African-Americans sometimes have the same experiences that the major society does. Right. And and you all know each other. Oh, yeah. We all know each other. We we all and we all look alike. (laughs) Oh, I've heard that. I've heard that that might be true. of not my experience. You'd be surprised how many people mistake me for Brenda Jackson. What? Yeah. What? Um, okay. It's the, it's the initials. Ah. The initials. At least that's what I'm going to call it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So yeah. you um you read your reviews. I'm really surprised. I know a lot of authors who don't read their reviews. Does that bother you at all to read no, what people say? No, nope, not at all. Um, I like knowing what people's reactions are. Whether they're good, bad, or indifferent, mm-hmm. um, sometimes they do give me things to think about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I read, you know. But I'm like everybody else. If it's a bad review, I'm like, okay, she doesn't know what she's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really healthy place to be. But I've always said that if you are a writer and you're super anxious and you don't want to read your reviews, then for one thing, don't read your reviews. But, no, the, yeah. but the solution is write another book because the more books you have written, the less mm-hmm. what one person says about one of all right. those books is going to bother right. you. It's not going to bother you at all. You know, and I'm confident in myself and confident enough in my writing that um, I can read the reviews, you know. Um, and one review was really, really interesting because she said, and I just loved her for it. She loved the book, but she said she had never read um, any of my work before because she couldn't see how an African-American couple in the 19th century could have an HEA because of the times and um, the lack of history that you know she had learned growing up. Mm-hmm. She just thought it wouldn't be possible or something that she would want to read, which was something that I knew. But to have somebody actually say it, mm-hmm. it's awesome. So she said now, you know, she understands how I work and she's going to go back and read everything. So, you know, I wish and there are a lot of people out there, both black and white, who let that barrier sort of make them step back and say, mm, I don't know if I want to read this because it might not, you know, meet my expectations of what a traditional romance would be. And how can there be a happy ending when there's so much misery? You know, when there, yeah, when there's slavery and there's, you know, lynching and, and all of that. Um, so for her to step out of her comfort zone and to actually read it and to love it um, is, 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 is a great thing. And does that happen with all of your books? It does. I mean, it, and it was one of the biggest barriers when I first started, not only with... Um, uh, white women, but with black women too, because they were like, okay, number one, we don't read romance. And number two, how is this relevant in our lives considering the lives that we led in the 19th century? So the books have done over the years a lot to dispel that myth, but there's still quite a few people out there on both sides of the, of the aisle who are like, "Mm, maybe, maybe not. So, and that's okay. And it also reveals the the limited history. Like, if all you know about this particular group is misery and degradation and death, then, well, of course there can't be a happy ending. 
Of course not. Of course not. Um, you know, and that's one of the things that I always rail about is that, you know, that's the majority culture and what they teach us and what Hollywood, you know, as opposed to to focusing maybe one of those nine, one of those one ten, one time out of ten mm-hmm. on what actually happened in everyday lives. Yes. You know, we fell in love. We had kids. We had birthday parties. We, you know. A normal life, normal values, that kind of thing. One of the things that I loved about Breathless and that made it such a comfort read for me was that there were so many moments with small groups of women basically getting things done. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. they were, they were, they were gonna, they were gonna cook. They were gonna go back in to cook more because everybody ate all the food. And what was that yeah. about? And yeah. they're and they're talking about how the um, the older women of the town where they live sent gifts to the sisters when they were in school, all these little communities of women helping each other move forward. Yeah. And it was, it was such a beautiful portrayal of how women basically get everything done together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you can't have a community without your women. Nope. I mean, and, and that was why, um, the state of Wyoming let women vote before, you know, the rest of the country mm-hmm. so that they could have these women come out and start these communities and, and, you know, and grow the state. Um, but you know, that goes back to, and we've had, you and I've talked about that before that, that Dorothy Sterling thing about the, why 19th century black women were so successful. Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the gifts as she calls it was their commitment to communities. So, you know, that's just another, um, offset offshoot of that. I've often noticed when I travel to different parts of the world where when you live in a place where the land is actively trying to kill you, mm-hmm. the culture that results has a lot less BS involved. Yeah. There's a there's a lot more reality and a lot more practical. Okay, I might really dislike you, but if I leave you here, you're going to die because the land's trying to kill you. And I mean, right. that could be like the, the desert or the Southwest or Alaska or Australia right. or wherever. I also think that that community when you are a minority and when there is... Um, constantly a threat against you in one way or another right. means that even when you don't like somebody, you're going to take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and that's been the threat I think for, for African-American communities, you know, and not to say that everybody in the community was a good upstanding person, you know, because no. we had, our, <clears throat> we had our, our, our share of swindlers and cotton men and, you know, all mm. of that. But. There were some people in Breathless that were Awful. Oh, God, I know, I know. And I love that one guy died of stupid. You killed somebody <laughs> with stupid. Oh, my gosh, I couldn't put that in the review, but you killed a man with stupid, and I oh, loved yeah. it. Yeah, you know, his. everybody said, they, they, one of the, the ladies on my site, we had club uh, Tuesday night, and she said, Miss Bev, I love the way you deal with your villains. She said, you know, you, you have this very, very creative way of, you know, you just don't kill him. You just, you kill him. Oh, yeah. You kill him with blood. That's stupid. <laughs> he died of stupid. Yeah. And it was a good thing because he needed to. Oh, yes. He needed to. So when you're doing your research, I'm, I'm imagining that you encounter a lot of communities of women historically in large and small groups. Yeah. And yeah. these and these organizations tend to, um, they, they, they show up at a moment where things are needed and then they move on or spread out into other things. Not a lot of them still exist. Mm-hmm. And some of them do. What were some of the organizations that you were representing in this book? Well, I was representing, um, I think one of the earliest groups was a, a, a group coming out, that came out of Philadelphia called the Daughters of Africa. Mm-hmm. They were a group of washerwomen in Philly back in the 1850s, I think, um, who came together as sort of a... Um, I want to say an early insurance company kind of thing where they would take whatever they had left over from their salaries, you know, their little pennies and, and nickels and stuff. And they would pay for burials and they would pay for um, doctor's appointments for people in the community that could not pay for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had groups like this all over the country. Um, the early sororities, um, <clears throat> the church women groups. Um, black women have always 
tried to cooperate because we had to mm-hmm. in order to keep the community vibrant and 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 alive. So so they represent, you know, and, and I'm always doing that kind of a thing mm-hmm. because yeah. it was so common. It was so common. Does it ever feel like the amount of history that you can represent that isn't appearing anywhere else is just overwhelming? Um, damn it. <laughs> when you get to be a certain age, right, a, a woman of a certain age, people start calling you at nine in the morning trying to sell you stuff. Oh, my gosh. They yes. want to sell you life bracelets. They want to sell you knee braces. They yeah, want to button you hang on your neck in case you fall down. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, go away. Every morning. So I don't answer my phone. Um, what was our question? Are you ever... Oh, the history. Yeah. Overwhelmed. Um, sometimes it is. Uh, sometimes, mostly the painful parts. Mm-hmm. Last night, it, because I'm, I was up so late last night, uh, Cornell University just released, uh, I think it's the Lowenthal or the Lowenstein collection of African-American photographs that they have and they just released it digitally and there were like 40 pages so I was up last night just going and just happened to stumble across it and I'm looking at these pictures and a lot of them were you know great pictures of just people in their everyday lives I had mentioned in the intro that there was a section where we described some graphic images and in order to make everybody feel safe I want to let you know that if that will disturb you you want to hit, when I am done talking, we go back to the interview, you want to hit your 30-second skip button on your playback um, app or just skip ahead 30 seconds from this point. Okay? Back to the interview. And there were some that were lynchings. And then they had one that I, there was one with a an alligator probably as large as my house eating a little boy. Oh, God. So that kind of stuff. You know, you look at it and you go, oh, Lord, that kind of stuff is overwhelming. Um, And to see people brought their children to lynching and their wives and their lunches. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, there were only four out of the 36 pages, four pictures out of the 36 pages with with those disturbing images. But um, the more... I know about the journey, I think the better I can tell the story Mm -hmm. in a way that you learn it. But I do the crying, as I said before. Yes, you do the crying for the readers. I do the crying for the readers. So, Um, But finding out about Lozen was just awesome. Oh, my God. I had no idea. Thank you for Lozen. I, I was like, oh, well, hang on. And I had to, like, go put my book down and go to the computer and be like, I, what, who is there this? There she book? was. I had never heard a thing about Lozen. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And there's pictures of her. Yeah. And she looks like she, she could kick anyone's ass any time. Right, right. There's only a couple pictures. Um, I've got a, I'm doing a, a blog post for somebody next month. <laughs> Somewhere on the internet, I don't know. Somebody who never leaves the house, you know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to do a a blog post about her um, next month, so I'm going to hopefully learn a lot of very, very interesting stuff. Um, But she's amazing. She's incredible. Yeah. So you have all these unsung women and all these unsung, you know, people in history. And it's great to be able to... To spread that history around because, you know, once you know about them, they're sort of alive again. So mm-hmm. she's getting ready to be uh, alive again because of a romance novel. So, you know. In a way, when you rediscover somebody who is lost in history, they mm-hmm. are alive again. Yeah. And you can tell someone about them. Yeah. It's only yeah. a small responsibility you're carrying. You know, not a big one. Don't worry about it. It's little. Just just, just a little bit of my ministry. You right. Know? Yep. When you're writing... Have you, forgive me for not knowing the answer to this question, I'm a little embarrassed that I don't know this off the top of my head, but have you written any historicals with the, with some of the sororities in them? Uh, no, because the sororities uh, started after 1900. Ah, so that's outside your time period. Well, it used to be. Now, used to. That you, you can, now you can put, you know, the early 20th century in historicals. 
So, you know, we can move towards that way. Um, I have not, I have not done anything based on any of the, not a, not a story set mm-hmm. in the historical black colleges. Um, but the stories are out there, especially, especially with Hampton because Hampton, um, in Virginia had not only African Americans, but native Americans. And you had, you know, the love stories between that. There's a great movie. And I, of course I cannot think of the name. I'll no, have to get not. it and find it and, and send it to you. That's fine. Of a, of a love story between <clears throat> a couple of those students. So lots more places to, to set stories and a lot more histories to explore. I, um, I told you I went to a women's college in South Carolina. And in a lot of ways, it was a, a large part of the population where it was a suitcase school. Like Friday at 3 o'clock, they went home. Sunday, they came back, did yeah. their laundry, went home for the weekend. And I was nine and a half hours from home, so I was not going home. Yeah. But I remember certain Saturdays every month. It was the first time I'd ever seen um, – it was pink and green. Was it Alpha, Alpha Kappa Alpha? It's Alpha Kappa Alpha, yes. yes. Alpha, Alpha. I love how I don't remember like letters, but I remember the colors. I had never seen anything like this, like 50, 60 cars, and it was a very small school, roll into the parking lot, massive party, we're all going out, and then whoosh, they were gone, and I had never seen anything like that before. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah, as they, it's just them, it's Delta Sigma Theta, Mm -hmm. Sigma Phi Beta, Sigma Gamma Rho, um, are the four main uh, largest sororities, and uh, they do incredible work did incredible work for the community back then and, and still do incredible work now with charities and, and literacy and, you know, it's, it's, it's an awesome thing. It is an it's awesome just thing. another way for, for black women to, to assert their, you know, selves and, and keeping the community together. I do have a vernacular question for you that I wrote down on the side. One of the mm-hmm. things I noticed the characters were saying, what they would they would say openly, well, we have to work and help the race. The mm-hmm. race is, is is that a, was that a historically common term? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, if you look at uh, the old newspapers and the old um, history books and, and all of that, we were referred to as as the race, uh, raising up the race, or you know, uh, danger to the race. And so, yeah, so I incorporate that with with my stuff. And I've been asked that a couple of times, too, so you're not the only one who's asked that question. Good, so I don't, don't feel so dumb. Well, no, it's not dumb. It's just, I mean, if you don't know something, you don't know something. It doesn't make you dumb or ignorant. I've also found that the older I get, the more comfortable I am with saying, I have no idea, can you tell me? Yeah. Being able to be like, I have no idea. It scares the dickens out of my kids because I'm like, I don't know. Mom, how can you not know? Because I don't yeah. know. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's it's dumb to think that you would know mm-hmm. everything. Nope. I know that's nothing. Why have, that's why you have Google, you know? And, and romance novels. Don't forget about those. Well, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that's one of the things my kids would, would always, <clears throat> they would ask me questions, and whether I knew the answer or not, I would always tell them, go look it up. Mm-hmm. You know, my daughter still talks about that today. She said, my mom would say, go look it up. You know, because it's a, sometimes you learn more if you actively incorporate it as opposed to having somebody tell you. Yep. So, yeah. I like to torture my children by telling them about these dark days before Google, before you had a computer in your hand, in your pocket. You had to go to the library and you had to go to this big drawer thing with lots of little cards in it. And you had to write down the titles. Then you had to go into a little shelf and find them and then bring the stack. And then you had to dig through and you had to keep looking. And sometimes you missed it and you had to start over. And they're just like, oh, my gosh, how did you get anything done? No, and the encyclopedia salesman that used to come to your door, I don't know. You know, I'm trying to sell you encyclopedias. We just moved. And the, the one, my husband wanted to move this shelf that came, the shelf that came with the encyclopedias right. to his parents. But he's like, no, it's a free shelf. And I'm like, it's terrible. We're throwing it away. Yeah, I've got one in my basement with my Encyclopedia Britannica's on right? it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and and now. While, yeah. For a while, I kept running back down. So it's like, why are you doing this? Because <laughs> you're so, and, and plus working in libraries all my life. Oh, right natural to just to look for the book so so they're down there gathering dust I, you know you don't want to throw them away nope. i mean what am i gonna do with a full set of encyclopedia the libraries don't want them nope so i don't know arts I, and crafts 
<laughs> I don't know. World's biggest, biggest paper mache sculpture. <laughs> right, or something, you know. Like a snowman out of it or something, I don't know. And now, with, with even just with social media, history just comes to find you. Right, it does. You know, you're going to bump into a photography collection from Cornell. Right, And you don't yeah. even have to put on pants. No, I, no, I didn't <laughs> even have to get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so... And that's the beauty of of the technology these days for those of us who who do search for information is, you know, like you said, it's right there. I mean, I'm stumbling through Twitter last night at two in the morning and I look up and it's five o'clock because <laughs> I've been looking at old photographs for three hours, you know, so. But you never know when you're going to need it or yep. when are you going to use it? Yep. So it's it's always a blessing when I run across stuff like that. And is, are there moments where you where, where you encounter something and you're like, oh well, um, there's my book. Yeah, see you in about that, six weeks. That's how um, Edie came about. Because mm-hmm. she was, she told me when our last conversation, she was walking across the desert with a, a cook stove, stove on her. with a stove on her head. I was going to say an oven, right. but that wasn't the right word. Yeah, it's a cook stove, you know. And I still, with all the research that I was able to do online and offline, I could never find out what kind of a stove it was. So. I just used a brazier, like a little hibachi we used to have in college. So, But, yeah, you never know what you're going to run into while you're looking for something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And history is a big tangle, so you just mm-hmm. pull one thread and you don't know where you're going to end up. Oh, you could be in down the rabbit hole for hours, you know. <laughs> and and then you go, okay, why? what was I looking for in the beginning, you know? Because now i got a recipe for, like, five casseroles, which is yeah. good. I'm not hungry now. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, you run across recipes too. I got a ton of those. When but, I yeah. uh, when I re- when I had the site redesigned the last time, my my one mission statement was I need a better rabbit hole because there's okay. so much information on the site. I'm like, all right, I need people to find tempting rabbit holes to dive into the site and stay there for you know hours. Yeah. I'm selfish. Yeah. Hours, hours, and hours. That was what I yes. wanted because yes. when I go down the rabbit hole, I find the best stuff. Oh, I know, I know, and you know, and like I said, you look up and it's dark. <laughs> it's it's Thursday. <laughs> you know, it's the next day. But I love it. I absolutely love it because, like I said, you never know when you're going to need it, and there's no such thing as learning too much. No, isn't that nice? Brains are great that way. They really are. They really are. So you're working on the next book in the series. Mm-hmm. Working on Miss Reagan. So is it Reagan? Regan, Reagan. My sister-in-law is Regan, but right. I had a friend when we lived in New Jersey who spelled it the same way, and it was Reagan. So I, I go with, I'm fine with both. Yeah, they asked me, they said, is it Regan or Reagan for the um, woman who was doing the audio? And I think we settled on Regan, so um, I pulled her name out of a cast of characters from Shakespeare. Because so. originally I wanted, her mom was going to be an actress, and then she had other ideas, so we went with what her mom actually turned out to be in that first book. So her mom is awful. Oh, you know what? <laughs> yeah, she's awful. She's terrible. And the ladies, they, I, I love them dearly. And they have been just so trying to come up with reasons why she's awful. Cause she's and awful. I have, to, I have to tell them she's awful. She's just bad. There's, there's no rhyme. She's purely selfish. She found a way out of the life. And I said, if Edie hadn't been there, she probably would have abandoned those girls mm-hmm. or maybe sold them. Yep. So they were like, well, you know, maybe she, she sent them there because, you know, it was, it was the best thing for her to do for them. I said, no. They were not her concern. No, they were not. And some people are that way. I have to say, I had a lot of respect for the fact that in the book, she is not redeemed. No, she's it's not, not gonna like be... she has this. Oh, I'm so sorry. I had this and this and this. And now you understand. It was like, nope, she's horrible, selfish, and she doesn't want to face her past. Right. Right. And there's going to be no redemption for that. Nope. You know, I saw, saw one of the um, the uh, uh, reviews on Amazon and <clears throat> this woman's going on and on about the book. And, you know, and she says, you know, and that's just going to be a plot device and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, honey, you have no idea. <laughs> No, 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 no. I mean, she's chosen her life and she is who she is. Yep. But there, there are people like that. There are. There are. And why, 
should I sugarcoat that? Nope. You're not sugarcoating anything else. No, not because, you know, well, it's a romance novel. Let's, you know, let's, let's deal unrealistically with, with people who are realistic in their own way. Nope. So, no, she's a bitch and she's going to stay a bitch. So. She's horrible. Horrible. She really is. She is. And her actions affect all the other women in different ways. Yeah. One of Everybody's- my favorite aspects about this book was sort of the found family. Mm-hmm. They live with their aunt and they they have other women in the community who are like mothers and sisters to them. And they have this large and small group of found family. The actual family connection, aside from Edie, is right. just, it's it's not a connection at all. It's not real. Right. No, yeah. She, um, she is who she is. Yep. And and then people were like, you know, everybody wants babies. I don't know what this what this fascination is with babies. You know, everybody they want Lily in 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 the blessings. Lily's forty five years old. She's not going to have a baby. Not if she know. likes sleeping. She likes sleeping. She should not have she a baby. She's got three kids, three boys now. Anyway, away from Lily. <laughs> but they wanted to know, well, how come? Um, Ryan and Edie didn't have babies, and I'm like, they have two girls. They don't need babies. You don't put babies in the in the book. Just I said, then I'd have to write the scenes, and then that would affect what I'm doing. No babies. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing Nora Roberts before one of her Q and A's, like, why is everyone asking me when even Rourke are going to have a baby? Exactly. I know. Wait, where were we? RWA in Dallas, I think. And there was a bunch of us standing there, and, and, and um, Nora came over, and that was what somebody said. Yeah. You know, when, and Eve was like, and I keep calling Nora Eve. <laughs> Nora said, no babies. And I looked at her, I said, Beverly Jenkins votes no babies either. You know, I'm like, God, you people get up, get, get, go away, sit, take a seat, find a stadium, take a seat. No, no babies. But everybody wants babies, so I'm like, no. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. I'm sorry, no. I don't understand. <laughs> Even Rourke don't need babies. Oh God, what? they're a little busy. It'd be a dangerous baby. He's he's running the world, and she's saving the world. You don't have time for babies. Yeah. So, what kind of questions have you been getting about this book? About breathless. Um, aside what, from babies. Aside from babies, um, one of the questions that I have asked when I did book club was whether Trent, uh, Trent Kent mm-hmm. <laughs> was a worthy the ladies call them worthy Beverly Jenkins heroes. Oh, that's a hard question for you to ask yourself. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I asked them, I always ask them the hard questions. And then when people ask me, I take their answers. Um, oh, that's very crafty. Well played, ma'am. Yes, 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 yes. I don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> you got craftiness on your side. Oh, and I've got a bunch of women who are a lot smarter than me in my life. Um, and they said, yeah. They said, you know, he was very patient with her. Um, he let her, he wasn't, um, how do I want to put it? He was patient with her. He did not, he didn't let who she was diminish who he thought he was. So there was no kind of, well, I'm the man and I'm going to tell you what to do and you're going to do this. And he was like, okay, she already knows what she wants out of life. So let me support that. Um, and they thought that was very, very worthy of him. Um, and the way he courted her, you know, they, they really, really loved that softness. Um, the book was not overly sexy. Um, they liked that softness. With her, I asked him, I said, well, did her past make her did you not like her because of who she was and because she was a little prickly and they were like no you know her past miss j um you know her mom left her a mess and and having the love and and care of edie and and ryan um helped her sort of get over that even though she still had vestiges of it you know in her life and being afraid of men and, and all of that so so those are some of the questions that i anticipate that i will get because these ladies are so brilliant and so smart, and they've got great answers to my questions. What I liked about Kent was that his answer to all of Portia's problems was not or. It was yeah. and. Yes. It wasn't, okay, you can either be a successful independent businesswoman 
or you can get married and have a family and be fulfilled in that way. Yeah. For him, it was, you can do both. Like both. Yeah. Totally a thing you can do. Like we can uh, totally, and, and like, I will build you a place on our new home. Yeah. That and I will add, it was all yeah. and with him. And, yeah. and, and also he was so accepting of her, um, her reticence and her, okay, I understand that you are this way and that you are scared of men and I will give you time and space to know that I will not hurt you. Right. He was never demanding that he be an exception to her rules. He was like, how about we add on to your rules? That I loved that about him because he understood and accepted her. I also loved that, and this is such a silly thing to love, but they talked like grownups. Yeah. Like they, 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 if there's a problem, they would talk about it. And he would go, yeah, and I was in prison because I banged the wrong guy's wife. Yeah. (laughs) What? And she was like, wait a minute. Time out. Yeah, time out. Start what? What? Yeah. And her attitude was, well, why did you do that? And is that a thing you still do? Nope, 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 nope. <laughs> Learn my lesson. Let me tell you. Nope, not happening again. His yeah. his entire approach to her was, I I accept all of these things about you and. He, he was all and, which is a really weird way to describe somebody, but I can't come up with anything better. He was always going to enhance Yes. And say, yes, and we can also do this. If you would like this, we'll have this and that and that and that because we can do all of the things. Yeah. And taught her to cook. Oh, God, that was so funny. All these women making like 95,000 pounds of fried chicken. And she's and they're like, can I help? Nope, 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 Portia. No, no, you better go. Go that. No. Go sit on a blanket. No, no cooking for you. You stay here. No kitchen yeah, for you. Yeah. You know, and he wakes up and smells smoke and he's like, oh, God, she's cooking. You know, trying to burn the house down. You know, that scene when he walks in and he sees the kitchen is such, you know, a disaster. And, and you know, he just, he just. Okay. Yeah, well, and she said, you know, was if anything happened to you, I'd starve to death. I was yep. supposed to, I'm a woman. I was supposed to be able to cook, you know, so, yeah. And she was, she was comfortable with rejecting the traditional gender expectations, except yeah. when it came to him. Because she wanted to care for him and she didn't know right. how. Right, yeah. And. And he was okay with that. Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with you. Right. Whereas all of the other disgusting men who were courting her were like, okay, well, when, when we're together, you won't do this anymore. Right. You're going right. to change because of me. Yeah. I'm going to mansplain your life. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Some of those guys were just walking, walking definition of mansplaining. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. And it's so but, uh, sad. It's so sad that those people are so familiar. Like, I know that guy. Because they still exist. I know that guy, too. I know that yeah. guy over there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she was not having, you know, not having any of it. Mm-mm. And, uh, you know, called her uppity and, you know, all kinds of, you know, more mansplaining about, mm-hmm. you know, what she needed to be and who she was going to be. And she was like, no, I'm not doing that. I did a podcast with Alicia Ryan. She talked a lot about dating and contemporary dating with apps and everything. And she says, I meet guys and I'm like, oh, I've read you. I I know what I have to do to fix you too. Do I really want to invest this? I don't think I want to do this. I think we're just going to end this date with coffee and it's been nice. Bye. All right. See you later. Take a seat. I've read read you and I've read you. And and she's like, ladies, do not date the new adult hero. Just (laughs) no. And it's so funny because I'm reading all these men trying to court Portia, and I'm like, oh, I've met him. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. No, we don't want him. No. You know, and, and they were so, you know, he had the one who was so shy, couldn't even talk. And, and yet she know. set him up with a woman who was perfect for him. Yes, yes, yes. She was being kind. Yes, there is someone for you. There is someone that's going to, that, that's a better yeah. match than me. Yeah, and, and it's not me, but it could be her, you know, mm-hmm. so. And you contrast that with her mother. Her mother would have just collected admirers and kept them all going because she would have fed on that admiration. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's been a great series. Um, we'll see what happens with Regan next. Uh, I, am, I am so curious, and I don't want to ask too much, but I'm like, oh, can you tell us anything about it? Anything, anything at all? All I can tell you is that when she gets there. <laughs> it's going to be words in the book. <laughs> it's, it's um, he's not going to be. The situation is not going to be what she thinks it is. Um, he is a doctor. <laughs> One of the ladies said, is he going to be a con man? And then he's going to get her out there. And I think, no, no, no. He's really going to be a doctor. But but he's 
his heart belongs to somebody else. So, Ooh. yeah, he's got a, a, I can tell you this because I've told the ladies. Um, and this may change, but this is sort of the premise that I'm working at. Um, he's, his wife died in childbirth. He's got a six-year-old daughter. He just wants somebody to raise his, his, his child. His child needs a mom. And he has no plans to love Regan at all. Mm-hmm. His heart is still with the lady in the grave. So she's going to find this out when she gets there. And it's going to be like, oh, my goodness, really? So we're going to watch her burn off all that ice and get her HEA. But it's not going to be easy. Because his letters did not represent that. His letters yeah. made it seem like he was open to having a relationship. Yeah. And the he... letters were written by somebody else. And I haven't figured that out yet. Ooh. With his approval. And somebody, one of the ladies Tuesday night said, well, maybe it was a daughter and a gay uncle. And I'm like, what? <laughs> they said, Bill, you need a gay uncle? And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you ladies are who? Or it could be an aunt. Mm-hmm. I haven't decided whether he, I don't know where, and I don't know him well enough yet to know parents and all of that. So it could have been his mom. It could have been. So we'll, you know, the, the, the writing muse will, expose all of this once I get into the story because right now it's like I always tell people when you start a book it's sort of like you're wandering around in the wilderness like the Israelites you know you know, <laughs> you're going yep. you know and then all of a sudden the the pillar of cloud the, the pillar you know the pillar of fires appears and you yep. start following and then you know where you are but yep. right now I'm just me and Moses are just wandering around <laughs> trying to figure out what route to take. So we'll see. Do you have a similar process for getting to know your characters as you write them? Does it happen similarly each time or do they just sort of evolve in different ways, influenced by history or how you're feeling or how the story is going? They, I I always think of them sitting in the corner of my office laughing at me (laughs) (laughs) because they know the story and I don't. And it's like, Let's keep this from her. Let's keep this from her. Let's, oh, the, okay, we'll give her this part. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when I finished the Blessing series, um, I just finished book eight. Just did a copy of it last night, so it's, 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 it's gone. But during the draft that I turned in, I had no idea where Mal was. He had left, and, you know, it's a bunch of crazy stuff going on. And the night that I finished that book, it was three in the morning. I'm stumbling into the bathroom to get some water. And then they said, this is where he is. And I'm like, oh, shit. How you <laughs> tell me this two weeks ago? <laughs> Come on. So, I was sleeping. I know. So they always, I always envision them as, you know, because I tell them, I have a green, I tell people I have a green room in my head. Mm-hmm. And all of my characters are in the green room in my head. And I always envision them sitting in there laughing at me because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> and, they feed me little pieces here and there, and but eventually they do tell me what what the story is and who they are and how I can get out of this this pickle that I've written myself into because they've led me there. So, yeah, kind of crazy. No, actually, I I don't think that sounds crazy at all. I've done enough author interviews to realize how many different ways there are to approach characters. Mm-hmm. I remember Lauren Willig telling me that she had had an idea for character just somebody sitting by a fire in the in the darkness in the middle of nowhere and a woman just walks up to the fire she didn't know who that was and she didn't know who he was and then like five books later she's like oh that's so-and-so and that's yeah. the other guy and that's why they're there and she's yeah. like so my imagination gave me that like you know years ago but yeah. that was where i needed to be heading towards with this series and i just didn't know it exactly yeah brains man it's an odd, wonderful life, um, and only people like you and other writers, you know, understand this—the craziness that that <laughs> that is our lives, <laughs> the days of our lives. You know, it is. It, but it's awesome. I love it. I absolutely love it. Somebody sent me a a reader named Elizabeth sent me a link to a Guardian article that was about some psychology psychology research that showed that there are some books and some people for whom, when they read a book, the characters live in their brains long afterward. 
that the character okay. will be narrating their life as they walk around, or the character's voice will stick in their head. And I was thinking, there is no writer who hears their characters in their mind that is surprised by this in the least. No, <laughs> not at all. And, and not surprised by that, because when I had book club on Tuesday night, I had one lady who quoted a character from another book to answer the question that was on the thread. Whoa. I'm like, I am so scared of you all. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I said, you are quoting Kathleen, uh, Catherine w w Wild Horse. Oh my from, gosh. From Topaz to deal with this question about, um, Portia. So yeah, they live in their heads. Um, that's why I had to write Ryan's book because they've been, they've been carrying him in their heads for 10 years and, Everywhere I'd go, like I said, I called him the Ryan Winers. Um, he lived for them. You know, he was alive. So I totally understand the Guardian thing. Totally understand. Yep. So my, my question that I always ask is, what, what have you read anything that you want to tell anybody about? Are there any books that you've read or enjoyed that you want to make sure people know about? Um, I am, you know, I, I, I got so many things on my TBR. Um, I'm reading the, uh, God, what is the guy's name? Around, hold on. Let me get my Kindle. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Harry Potter meets Harry Dresden. Yes. This sounds interesting. It is great. It's Ben Aronovich. Mm -hmm. It's the Peter Grant series. Ooh, how are you liking it? I am loving it. I'm on book, uh, I'm getting ready to start book three. Ooh. So I love that. Uh, what else am I reading? Would you recommend it for romance readers? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because we read a little bit of everything. We do. I mean, it's not a, a row romance. There's a teeny bit in there. Um, and you wonder what's going to happen. Because he's got a, a couple few women that he's dealing with. So I like that. Um, <clears throat> I'm also reading... Uh, the Book of Joy, Lasting Happiness in a Crazy World with Dalai Lama and um, Bishop Desmond Tutu. It is a crazy world, so that seems like a good idea. Yeah, and, and they are two silly men. They are oh very, my, oh my gosh, the Dalai Lama is so silly. They are so silly, and together they're just, it's, it's just a hoot. Even while you're you're learning to, to get your stuff together, peaceful wise and joy and all of that. So, so I've got... When I fly um, to South Carolina, I'm going to try and read Alyssa's book. <clears throat> I've got, I've, it's been calling me with Norris, J.D. Robb's new book. I've got that waiting. So I've got so much stuff to read. I need like six years of, of unlimited wealth so that I can sit back and just read. <laughs> I hear that. Don't get to read as often as I as I used to. I know most writers can tell you the same thing. We're too busy writing. We don't get a chance to to, 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 to fill the, the reading need that we yes. all have. You have a lot of writers who don't read in the same genre they're writing in. Right. So you have to go in and out of the different genres to find a place mm -hmm. to go. Yeah, yeah. I I don't read a lot of romance. Because, <clears throat> you know, and, and it was something that um, somebody said on Twitter last night is that, you know, you can't turn your internal editor off. So I read fantasy, as you know, and uh, I don't have to bring out the red pens or anything when I'm reading that. I can just enjoy it. Yep. So I understand. It's a great thing. Yeah. Well, Love thank you. Book. And thank you for, for Breathless. It was like the perfect comfort read that I needed most when I read it. And I'm really very well, grateful for that. You're very, very welcome. You guys keep, keep reading and buying and I'll keep writing. I think this is a good plan. I think so, Let's too. do that. And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Beverly Jenkins for hanging out with me and for sharing so much information about all of the things that she incorporates into her books. You can find links to all of her new books and her older books, including Breathless, which you should totally read at smartbitchestrashybooks.com slash podcast and at itunes.com slash DBSA, where we have our own iTunes page. If you have questions or suggestions or you'd like to ask for recommendations even, you can contact the show or me, which is both of those things, at sarah at smartbitchestrashybooks.com or at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. And the next few episodes in March do not have a sponsor. So if you are thinking you would like to sponsor an episode, definitely get in touch with me. I would love to have you. And of course, if you would like to support the show, 
please have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. Your contributions make an enormous difference. And the different reward levels include the genuine handcrafted, locally sourced, and artisan crafted. Compliments from yours truly, all heartfelt, all genuine, all 100% created by me and executive sound engineer Orval, who is currently trying to push the sound box off the desk. Dude, seriously, I'm busy here. Man, you go away for like one day and the cats are like, no, 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 you do, all you do is pet us right now. That's your only job. The music you're listening to is provided by Sassy Outwater. You can find her on Twitter at Sassy Outwater. This is Caravan Palace. This track is called Bamboos and you can find it on their double album, which includes both Caravan Palace and Panic. You can find that on iTunes, at Amazon, and you can find Caravan Palace on Facebook and their website. We'll be back next week with more and interesting things about romance and the women who read and write it, because that's how we do things here. And in the meantime, on behalf of Beverly Jenkins, all of my feline sound engineers, and all of us here, we wish you the very best of reading. Have an excellent weekend, and we will see you next week. 